0: you are listening to this is spinal crap the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury
1: remember if you heard it on this is spinal crap it's probably not medically correct so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional
2: this Is Spinal Crap is sponsored by ColorPlast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management.
3: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of This Is Spinal Crap. We're now on episode 10 of this series in partnership with SIA and the weeks are absolutely flying by. Um, Though technically this should have been episode 11 because some of you diehard listeners out there have noticed we didn't have an episode last week. Um, And we should say thank you to those who got in touch to check if we were all okay. Did you get any of those messages, Gracie? No, but
4: that's very sweet. I'm glad that if something had happened to us and we were just Lying in our houses Someone would have uh, Come and checked
3: on us So that's nice It was really nice I had a few lovely emails And calls And people at the cafe yesterday um, Wondering What had happened But um, We're all just fine Thank you guys For checking in There was just a glitch um, Or a series of glitches Really That meant that the Episode about masculinity That the guys were planning Wasn't quite ready To go out So we will Share it as soon As we possibly can And we look forward To hearing it But until then You're stuck with myself, Ruth Early And as ever, the very lovely Grace Spence Green Hi Gracie Hi Congratulations Grace on finishing your exams Thank you very much Feels very strange I feel a bit like
4: a a kind of loose cannon at the moment I'm not really sure what to do with myself But I'm glad to be finished
3: Oh well there's plenty of podcasting to be done Yes,
4: that's true There's
3: always podcasting you finally have fourth year done and dusted you must feel a huge sense of accomplishment
4: um sort of i guess it's so strange because normally we all do it together in an exam hall so just closing the computer and then that's done is a bit of an odd uh anti i'd say but yeah yeah it feels good to be in final year
3: good nearly a doctor nearly a doctor <laughs> do we have to start calling you dr grace then
4: no don't worry i won't make you do that (laughs) we do it if we want to yeah yeah only if you really want to
3: (laughs) Among all of the glitches this week, the show that we had planned to record today had to be your schedule. So there's still plenty of interesting stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks, but it meant that we had to very quickly pull together today's show and we're using different technology to our usual uh, platform. So if the sound quality is not what you're used to, please forgive us. We're just trying something new. Um, The silver lining of all this is that Uh, we have got to speak to some really incredible women who are joining us today as guests. Now, our listeners know that Grace and I are big fans of strong women, um, so we're absolutely thrilled to have a few of them with us right now. Today, we're going to be talking about the partners of people living with spinal cord injury and discussing how their lives and lifestyles have changed since their partner's injury or since meeting a partner with a spinal cord injury. Before I go any further, I'm going to point out the elephant that will be in the room in that we are only talking to women for this particular episode, Um, all of those women who are with men. So I appreciate that we could diversify quite a bit on this and I'll openly apologize for that, but it is simply because of how quickly we needed to pull the show together. Um, Don't worry, in fact, here's a spoiler alert. We are planning a pride special and we'll absolutely um, be keen to speak to people of all genders, all sexual identities, um, who either have spinal cord injuries or have partners with spinal cord injuries. And better yet, if there's a couple out there who have spinal cord injury, we want to hear from you. So you know how to get in touch. If you don't, Grace.
4: You can get in touch with us on Instagram at This Is Spinal Crap, on Facebook and Twitter at Spinal Crap Show. Uh, you, or you can email us at This Is Spinal Crap at gmail.com. Or you can sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is spinalcrap.com.
3: Lovely. That is enough from us. Let us meet our brilliant guests. Um, first, uh, I will introduce Kate Farr, whose husband Tim has a spinal cord injury. Hello. I shouldn't. I feel terrible in, in introducing people and in, in their relationship to somebody else. So I'm not going to. We'll, we'll come to that later. We just have Kate Fire with us today. Hello, Kate. Hi. <laughs> and we have a, a, a first for this is Spinal Pop. We have Canadian guests. We have Brooke Paget and Elena Pauley. Hello, ladies.
1: Hello, thank Hello. you. Yes.
3: <laughs> and Brooke and Elena are from um, an organization called WAGS of SCI. Um, so, we're looking forward to hearing a little bit about that in just a moment. Kate, can I first come to you and ask you about your lovely husband, Tim, um, and how you guys met? Uh,
2: yeah, so Tim and I
3: met six years ago. Um,
2: we met in when he was doing the uh, Alpine Punditry for the Winter Paralympics in 2014. Um, he's a former ski racer, so he was doing all the alpine punditry and I was working behind the scenes as an assistant floor manager. We met there, became friends, a couple of months later got together and six years later we're married, have a one two-year-old and the twins on the way,
0: so. Oh, congratulations! That was
2: a bit crazy. <laughs>
0: wow! Brooke, can you tell us a about your story? Hi, my name is Brooke. Um, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and um, I'm 34 years old, and I am the co-founder of WAGS of SCI, which is um, an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. Um, My husband, Evan, is a C4 quadriplegic. Uh, He uses a power chair, and I am his full-time caregiver. And Elena?
1: Yes, hello. (laughs) Thanks for having us on today. Uh, My name is Elena Polly. I am the girlfriend of Dan Duffy. So we have been together for eight years. My partner Dan sustained a spinal cord injury four and a half years ago while we were vacationing in Cuba. And um, so he sustained his injury the day before we were to fly home, actually. So we, we went through the process of being hospitalized in a local Cuban hospital where he actually had his fusion done before we were emergency airlifted home. So I am also the co founder of WAGS of SCI. Amazing, amazing. Uh, just a quick question
3: there about the Cuban healthcare system. I've heard that it's supposed to be excellent.
1: Yes, it definitely is. So because Cuba is a socialist country, the education is free. So a lot of people actually come from around the world to Cuba to obtain their their education, to be, become doctors. So they are quite good. The issue, or I guess the one of the things that holds them back is that they're because they're socialists, they don't have a lot of equipment available to them. So they're, a lot of the time, they're just making things up as they go. Um, for instance, the hardware that is in my boyfriend Dan's neck, they made it up on the spot. So there, there was no serial number for it. The whole process, it was a very, very scary and interesting process. But everything that they used was, um, they just kind of made it up.
3: I'm really interested, Elena, in that your partner didn't have an SCI when you met him.
1: No, he didn't. So we were together three years before he sustained his spinal cord injury. And then um, yeah, we're still together. <laughs> um, I am obviously due to coronavirus. I am his primary caregiver, his only caregiver. Um, but typically we do have a bit of assistance in the morning for about an hour and a half to do like the bell program and shower him and, and change him. So yeah, it's been a good shift. <laughs> and what, what level was his injury? He is a C6, so he broke C5, fusion from C4 to C6.
3: Okay, all right. so yeah, that's a, a, big, uh, a big change in your lifestyles then. Both him, obviously, we, we're always talking about the people who have spinal cord injury, but for their partners as well, that must have been a huge change for you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it. (laughs) It was definitely like, what the hell is going on for, I mean, we're, we're just four and a half years out now. So we still deal with so many new changes, right? Brooke and I both say all the time that you know our friends and family or strangers see the wheelchair and they think, "Oh no, poor guy," and we always say the wheelchair is actually you know that's your those are your legs those are that's your two of independence, so the wheelchair is actually quite the positive thing. The things that are really tough to as you ladies would both know um, that are really tough to deal with on a daily basis are like those secondary conditions, you know, dealing with blood pressure, dealing with AD, dealing with, you know, feeling hot, cold, the headaches, all that. That's the toughest part. I think that this injury definitely presents is that uncertainty.
3: So when you were in Cuba and the, um, you were in the hospital, um, and Dan was, you know, in surgery, what was going through your mind?
1: Well, um, honestly, we had to take um, a five hour bumpy car ride to get him to the hospital from our resort. So at that point, they didn't put a neck brace on him. I ran back to the room and got our travel pillow and our blanket with our documents and I stabilized him with our travel pillow as we were kind of shaking back and forth in this vehicle. And, um, so when he first started to go into surgery, I just started cleaning the entire room. I asked for some, they didn't have any soap in the hospitals. They didn't have any toilet paper. So I just asked for some cleaning things to clean, like, you know, the, the dirt, the blood, the pee off the walls. It was a very, it was a dirty place. And, um, so I just started cleaning and then I actually had to take a cab ride back to our resort to get, um, some medication that I needed that. I needed to take her or else I would get vertigo. So I, it was, it was scary. I remember trying to get somebody to either come back with me. I didn't know where I was going or who was going to be taking me where. And, um, you know, I went, I did that. I was, I was quite sad seeing all the other couples walking around and their vacation. And here we are going through a nightmare. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, by the time I got back, it cost me 350 us for the taxi ride. By the time I got back, he was lying there screaming, his lips were dried up, nobody could hear him. It was it was something out of a nightmare for sure. And um I, you know at that point I just called the embassy and said, "Hey, we're in the middle of nowhere right now. We're stuck in this local hospital. My I don't know what's happening." So uh luckily for us, I have a doctor in the family, so I called him right away, my uncle and he walked me through the process and said, I think this is what's happening. Um, you need to order an MRI. You need to order this. Start asking for these things or else they might keep you there for a while. And they did. They wanted to keep us there for about a month. So about a week later, we did have a, a small private jet coming out from Quebec. They came and picked us up and just kind of just grabbed our stuff, grabbed us and just ran, ran out of that hospital to, to hop on the flight. And then we slowly returned home to Vancouver. And so at that point, we just put up our house for sale. It sold within five days. We just never went back to our city. We stayed in Vancouver from ICU. And is that far from your home city? No, it's about uh, an hour and a half drive. So your whole life just,
3: your life changed just as much as his apart from the, well, apart from the physical elements, Mm -hmm. but your house, your everything changed.
1: I lost my job. Uh, We both obviously lost our jobs. I was still attending university. So I would have to do a two hour drive to my university and back each day, take care of him. I had to get a serving job. I was serving all night, weekends. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Was there
3: ever a moment, and this is not a question that I'm sure anybody likes to hear or anybody likes to ask, but it has to be asked. Was there ever a moment where you thought, I want out?
1: I'll be honest with you. My entire family right away asked me, are, are you sure you can do this? Even while we were still in Cuba saying, are you sure you know what you're getting yourself into? Can you do this? This is your life. You're, I was only 29 at the time. You're only 29. You shouldn't be a caregiver. You should, this shouldn't be happening to you guys. And right away I said, no, I'm staying. So we just did it. Oh, wow. That's, Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. That's a really, yeah.
4: fantastic story. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Well, Brooke has a pretty similar one, so wait until it's I her I want time. to hear it. I want to hear it. Go on, Brooke. That's her <laughs> story.
0: Well, the reason why Elaine and I connected um, is because our stories, you know, while the way the injury happened, it's not similar. We did, um, we were with our partners for a few years before the injury happened. So I was with my partner for four years before he got injured. We had just moved into an apartment a few months before that actually had stairs to get up to it—a massive staircase, no elevator. So he couldn't go back to his place either. And we were actually in the process of buying our first condominium together. And so when I got the call that he had his accident, he had his accident at work. I was actually at the bank about an hour and a half drive away from away from where he was, away from where he was working. And I got the call, and you know they're very vague. It was his one of his coworkers that called and said, you know, don't worry, come to the hospital. And so I went to the hospital. as ushered into this room, and I actually didn't get to see him for a couple of hours. He actually wanted to see my mom (laughs) because my mom is a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, and she's a holistic practitioner. So she had helped him a lot in the past, and she's very calming. And so she went in to be with him. Nobody knew what was going on. And then finally, when he was calm enough, he was in a neck brace. They ushered me in, and that's when I was beside him, and a doctor and three others burst into the room. And they said, your husband had a serious spinal cord injury. Um, He's going to have to be put into a coma because he's not stable enough for surgery. And we're going to have to wait until, He's stable enough. So they put him in a coma for two days, and I basically bribed the nurses to stay by his side because they wanted me to leave. <laughs> so I basically made them feel sorry for me, and they were like, No family, no immediate family, you have to go overnight. And I said, Listen, like I can't. I literally like shook her and I was like, I can't leave. Like, I cannot leave. You don't understand. And she felt sorry for me. So she's like, okay. So I was snuck in. I sat by his bedside all night. I roamed the, the you know, the the floors of the hospital aimlessly. I don't even remember what was happening at that time. I was just like so scared. And like Elaine and I, we both connected because neither of us really knew or understood what spinal cord injury was um, prior to this. Like we knew about Christopher Reeve. We knew about Dana Reeve. We knew about, you know, that kind of injury. We didn't realize that it meant that our partners probably wouldn't get up and walk in a week I know I thought for the first three months that he would just get out of bed and be all right soon. And I would constantly try when he was in rehab to get him to move his, his limbs and his, his hands and try and get him to visualize. And while that's all important, I didn't realize that it was going to be a long-term thing right off the bat. Um, And so the way that my partner was injured, actually, he was working on a job site. Um, He was a site superintendent. So he was actually just, it was, it was a freak fate accident. He wasn't even supposed to be there. His, he got a call from one of his um, workers that said, I'm busy doing something else on the site. Can you inspect this load? A load of gym flooring had come in from the East coast. Um, they were building a school. And so he went to the truck. He took a photo of the truck because the the load was loaded improperly. It was stacked vertically instead of horizontally big rolls of gym flooring. Um, and so He went up to the load to take some more photos of it because the procedure is you send it back to where it was loaded, to be reloaded for safety reasons. And as he was getting in, the load fell on him. Um, And it was about 3,500 pounds right on his head. And they actually showed me photos of the scene afterwards and his hard hat was completely splintered into a million pieces. And the doctor said that they were shocked that he didn't have a brain injury or any sort of brain trauma. So he was given a second chance at life. That was almost six years ago. Next week is going to be a six-year injury anniversary. So that's our story. <laughs> that's, it's very, also very dramatic.
3: Grace, they're nearly up there with you for the drama.
4: I know. Wow. Oh, my God.
3: You're going to have to tell oh, the girls. You beautiful. have to tell them yours now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well,
4: sorry. I get so bored of telling it because I, I can't find an interesting way of saying it. But I was walking through Westfield Shopping Centre one day. Um, I never do go shopping, but I just, you know, will there. And, um, a man decided to jump headfirst from the third floor and landed on my back.
1: Whoa. Oh my God. Mm. So, so he was attempting, like, a suicide? No, they don't, um, uh, they don't think so. They don't
4: really know. They don't really know. <laughs> really? So somebody... Did I he come No, no, he's fine. Uh, well, as in physically. <laughs> Oh my, gosh. oh
1: my lord God, and what level is your injury i'm t4 and wow that would that would be a very wow. difficult situation to forgive somebody i mean yeah. you know and i talk about this all the time you know how that resentment always kind of stays if somebody else causes that the accident right
4: yeah that's interesting i've never had resentment or anger for, for it because i think i just don't even think about him as part of like my story i just feel like this weird just like bizarre thing happened to me and he doesn't really cross my mind which i think is probably good in like for me in my recovery because i don't yeah i don't harbor this anger but i can imagine kind of with those sort of stories like the lorry being you know like packed unsafely that would that would be really really difficult to get over that kind of resentment
0: Honestly, I, I feel kind of the same way as you. I feel like I never really had resentment for the wrong place at the the wrong time. I kind of Mm -hmm. view it as, and for me, I kind of have always been this way where I have to view it as like this happened for a reason. And I look back at our situation. I look back, I look at the way that our life is now and I'm, actually so grateful for the fact that it happened. And I know my partner is not quite there yet, but he's, he's getting there. He really is getting there. He had a lot of healing to do um, and a lot of resentment and he's really working on, on it. And he's really, he's changed a lot in the past couple of years specifically, but yeah, it's tough as a couple to get through this, but I, I swear to God, it's kind of shocking to me how grateful I am in a way that this happened. And I know like a lot of people will roll their eyes at me or think like you're naive, but it's just me. It's just, it's just the way that I view things is our relationship is so much better now than it was before. Um, I always tell my partner that we were on the verge of breaking up before because I didn't feel like we were on the same level as far as a few things like mental stuff spiritual stuff. And I feel like after his accident, he changed and he just the way that he thought and the way that he placed importance on how he's thinking and how he's behaving and his emotions, it's just like made us that much closer. So really interesting. I definitely yeah. say, I know for, for Tim, obviously I
2: wasn't there for his injury, but for him, I know that he feels like having his spinal cord injury changed his life in such a dramatic way. And in such a positive way, his you know, trajectory Pre injury, so he was injured at 21, he was at university. And his trajectory was he was going to probably end up in a desk job somewhere. Yeah. He had a lovely life, but it would have been very, un, you know, quite likely to be quite uneventful. And instead, he ended up skiing for the British disabled ski team for eight years around the world, completely independent. He's had all of these incredible things happen. And that would never have happened if it wasn't for his spinal injury and being able to take what's happened to you and go, yeah, elements of it suck, but actually all of this stuff is amazing and would never have happened to me. These opportunities would never have come up if it weren't for this thing that had happened. Mm -hmm. I
1: think having that positive
2: attitude around it can make such a big difference.
1: It's interesting because same with Dan, my my boyfriend um, was a stonemason at the time. So he couldn't go back to that job of lifting stones and doing all these things. And, you know, to be quite honest, I was getting kind of sick of just him going to work, paying mortgage, going to work, paying mortgage, stressing over bills. It was just like this vicious cycle of, you know, I kind of wanted to ask him, like, don't, don't you think there's more to life than this, than just paying mortgage and being stuck like this? And obviously he couldn't have that job anymore after. So he went back to university two years after his injury. And now he's, uh, he's going into the rec therapy program in the fall, which is the rec therapist. I don't know if you know, um, are the people that go through rehab centers. So when Dan was hospitalized and and Evan and anybody else with an injury, you go to the rehab center and you have your occupational therapist, you have your physical therapist, and then you have a rec therapist. And the rec therapist is the one that will come around, you know, once you get settled in about a week into rehab, and they see your board and they'll come out and they'll say, Hey, we're doing wheelchair rugby today. Get up, get out of bed. Let's go, everybody. Let's go. So they really encourage people to try new activities after you're injured. Like we're going to go to the pool. We're going to go to a hockey game. Come on. So they want you to create a new, I don't like using the words like new normal, but they want you to get adjusted to being in a chair, but still living your life. So that's what Dan is doing in September. He's going to that program now. Something that he would have never done ever, ever. You know, I think that's
4: such an important job. Amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of us. I think you know, all of us here that are in this room right now. I think we're all probably advocates for spinal cord injury and and provide some sort of support to people around us and educate them. So I think you know, it's important to follow what it's home for you what you know about what you really know about when you're living it you kind of become an expert in your own field right so
3: Kate I am super interested our first communication was you sending me your video of your first dance at your wedding do you want to tell us about it um
2: yeah so you guys were talking about weddings and wedding dances and um obviously so a bit of background because I don't think I've said it. Um, so Tim has an L1 incomplete injury. Um, so he has quite a lot of use of his body. So obviously it's very different depending where you are. But for us, we kept looking at all the videos of people doing their wedding dances and it was a lot of very slow dancing. And it was, you know, it, it was it all just felt like we wanted something different. Um so we ended up doing a very energetic one. And you guys were talking about wedding dances and I just sent it through like, you know, we can... It can be kind of you just chucking him around the room if you want it to be. Yeah, he was in his chair and I kind of, it's one of our favourite things is going to weddings and having a dance because you get a proper dance floor and you can really swing him round and (laughs) (laughs) clear a dance floor. (laughs) He's run over a lot of people's feet and wedding dresses and general... You know, what's
0: interesting is I feel like you have to kind of do you after spinal cord injury. Like you have to kind of throw out preconceived notions of what you thought was possible and just figure out what works for you. I remember two years after my partner was injured, we were in California going to a rehab facility and we started planning our wedding. And I remember like talking to my mom, the three of us, she was on FaceTime. And my husband and I were like, oh, like, you know, we're thinking of going here, doing this, like at home, like renting a place in a park or something accessible and just having a small wedding. And my mom was like, oh, that sounds nice. And then I was like, yeah, like we both looked at each other. We're like, damn, we wish that we could go to Italy or we wish we could go to where we actually want to go. But that's probably impossible. And my mom looked at us and she was like, well, why don't you just do it in Italy? And I was like, because he has a 500 pound power chair and it's Italy, like notoriously inaccessible. Then we kind of looked at each other and we talked about it for a few days and then we're like, let's just freaking do it in Italy. And so we figured out pretty quickly that there's a lot of accessible villas in Italy. And the cost is for a week for 14 of our friends and family to stay with us at a villa. It was the same price as a wedding for one night in Vancouver. And so we soon figured out that it was totally doable. And we found an accessible villa with ramps and they were made of stone and it was in this castle and there was a rolling shower and (laughs) it was unbelievable. And it turned out to be like our dream. And so I feel like you don't have to sacrifice things just because you of what you know previously and you should always keep your mind open to what is possible because there's so much more that is possible that you you just have to think outside the box. Um I have a question about
4: caregiving. I guess is more um it's for the, the wags of SCI. Um, um so you say you're both um, caregivers to your to your partners. Um I was wondering kind of how that works in terms of being a caregiver but also, you know, being kind of in a relationship because I remember seeing on um i' oh got a terrible thing about Dr. Phil and he'd done something about how hundred out of hundred caregiving relationships failed and like it was there was this whole uproar because obviously that was ridiculous. Um but I was just wondering how you kind of balance being a caregiver but also kind of, you know, having a loving and romantic
0: relationship. I think personally it, it has to work on both ends. I think In my experience anyways, it it will not work for the long run if you don't have both people working to understand one another and communicating properly. Um, Like I know that myself, I've had to deal with, um, you know, a lot of frustrations, um, especially at the beginning when I first started, because at the very beginning we had nursing and we just decided that it wasn't for us. Um, we wanted to get up when we wanted to, we wanted to have freedom. We didn't like having someone else in our space and it was just a personal choice. Um, and so we had kind of a weird situation, um, Well, first off, when I was at the rehab center with my husband, I was there every day. I wanted to learn as much as possible because I very soon and early on realized that we wouldn't be able to travel without somebody else unless I learned his care. Um, And so I was instructed by nurses. I was instructed by OTs. Um, I just tried to learn and soak up as much as possible. And I know Elena did the same thing. Um, And so when we were in our home, we had nursing come in the mornings for four hours. And I just, I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan. My husband was not a fan. We had a nurse actually call in sick a bunch of times and I took over for her. And after a while of that, I realized, and my husband realized that like, we can do this by ourselves. Um, I'm a big believer in like figuring out what you need to balance your life and You know, when I was feeling overwhelmed, I would say, okay, what do I need right now? I'd sit and I'd think, what do I need to make myself feel grounded and centered? He would sit there and help me and actually take interest in like, what do you need? How can I help you with myself? What can I do to make your life better? And so I feel like it goes both ways in order to make it work. You have to have understanding between the two of you or else it's going to fail. And I think when, you know, what Dr. Phil was talking about was in his experience, people that he know, it probably didn't work because they didn't have the tools Um, And the resentment started building up and the arguments started happening and they didn't know how to handle it between the two of them. And I think it definitely takes both sides communicating, putting your differences aside and realizing what do we want? We want freedom. We want the ability to do the care and also separate the romantic relationship from the care. That was very important to me. And so like you almost have to train your mind where... Uh, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's like a mind game. At the beginning, I was always just like, okay, I'm doing the bowel program right now. I'm doing the digital stim right now. Okay. How am I going to separate the girlfriend part of me from this? And it's just playing tricks on your mind so you can get to that space where it doesn't bother you anymore. And it's just a part of, it's just like getting dressed and brushing your teeth. And I say this to some of my friends, and they're like, how the hell... Are you able to do that? Like, how do you like stick your finger up his butt? And how is that like, how do you separate that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do. I don't even think about it anymore. Cleaning up accidents, he gets embarrassed. Like he doesn't have them very often, but when he does, it's it's embarrassing. Like if he's sick or something, Um, but that being said, it gets easier and easier and easier as the time goes on because he sees my reaction and he sees that if we get frustrated and angry at one another or like, oh my God, you had another accident. I have to clean it up. Well, I hate this. You know, if you have those feelings and you show them to your partner, it's just a recipe for disaster because it just creates a path of failure.
1: (laughs) It's funny that you say that actually, because I find that the hardest part about all his frustration with, with accidents and his frustration when things go wrong. Whereas I'm like, it's fine. I'll just deal with it. But like, I don't need the extra chatter in the background of, Oh my God, I can't believe how stressful this is for me. That's the hardest part of it is, you know, I know it's natural for him to get frustrated because his life is obviously a lot harder. He's in a wheelchair, right? He can't do a lot of things by himself, but I sometimes I'm like, it would be so much easier if he just, like, didn't say anything right now and we could just, like, deal with it and, like, move on with our day instead of now having to regulate our emotions on top of, like, the physical aspects of everything going on too. That's what I, if I'm going to be honest, that's the hardest yeah. part for me.
3: And Kate, you have kids, though, so um, yeah. Can, how, how does that dynamic then work? And um, you, must, you must do a lot more of the physical stuff, do you? Um, as I say, Tim obviously has
2: a lower... Incomplete injury. Um, he can't move his. He can move his legs a tiny bit, but can't walk. Um, but he has a lot of trunk control. So I'm very lucky in that respect that he is able to do a really great share of the parenting. Um, I'm sure he would say he probably does more than I do sometimes. Mm. <laughs> but there are there are definitely difficulties. Um, you know, when she was so we have a two year old daughter when she was really small. If we were away or something and using a travel cot he was able to put her down onto the floor over the top of a travel cot because he just doesn't have the height to do that um but he just did the whole of her bedtime (laughs) because i was going to come on here um and he you know even when she was a newborn he was able to have her in his arms and transfer from the bed into his chair to be able to go and take her somewhere, or he's always been able to do as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely things he can't do, but I'm, you know, it's, it's always the small things, thankfully for us. Um, I think the things that he can find quite challenging are, you know, going out for a walk. And if she runs off into the middle of the field and it's all full of mud, he can't go after her. And it, those kinds of things are quite difficult. Um, but we were really conscious when we found out that I was pregnant, that we wanted to make sure everything we got was as Tim friendly as possible. So the buggy we got, we made sure it was a three wheeled buggy. You could easily push with one hand. It has a hand brake, So he didn't have to worry about trying to push a foot brake with his hand. It's super light. So he's able to take, he's taken her out on the buggy out into the shops and done the food shop and come back with her without having to worry too much about it. You know, we've got a special mat on the floor. That's a good um, kind of thickness and is like a really durable um, play mat. So that if he wants to get on the floor, he hasn't got to worry about being on the floor on a hard surface for too long and getting a pressure sore or anything like that. He's able to really get down and, and engage with her. And like the cot, we made sure it had a, side that came down so that if he did need to get her in asleep or something he was able to do that how will do with twin newborns and a toddler I don't know I think it'll be as hard as it'll be
3: for any couple <laughs> on, the, um, on the subject of, of <laughs> kids then I mean when you because you didn't have you, you made a choice. I mean, the, the, the other girls that we have here were in relationships and, you know, obviously stayed in them. But you made a conscious choice to get together with somebody who had a spinal cord injury. At, in the early days, did you worry about things like, are we going to be able to have children? Are we going to be able to be intimate? Are we going to be able to live the life that I'd like to live? I mean, how did Definitely. you find all that stuff out? Um, so we've always
2: been really, really open with each other. Um so even from when we were friends and weren't even dating yet, I was kind of like trying to suss out what the deal was. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so you've got lots of nieces and nephews. Would you want kids when you're older? And um, like, you know, later on. And, uh, you know, he was like, yeah, no, I would like to. And, you know, didn't, and kind of gave an answer of that, of you know, to a friend rather than a girlfriend. But kind of it gave me a vague idea of where we, was, where we were at um and then once we were together you know we had had conversations about you know in the future would we want to have kids and we were like yeah we would but we knew that we kind of assumed it would be difficult the likelihood is we'd have to have a lot of intervention or we might not be possible at all we might have to adopt so I did loads of research into adoption in the UK and all the different things that we might need to do um we were very lucky that we uh, had a happy accident, as they say, and just yeah, accidentally got pregnant, um, which we were very happy about. A little earlier than we probably would have planned, but we've always been really open with each other about what all of this means. You know, if it's a case of can we do this in the bedroom or anything like that. We'll just ask each other the question. It took a long time to kind of adjust, I guess. I don't know whether you guys have a similar kind of experience, but there was definitely a mental adjustment for me when it came to where in the past, I don't know how graphic I can get, where in the past. As graphic
3: as you want to
2: guess. (laughs) But I'd say, like, where in the past, uh, you know, an intimate relationship might be a lot more balanced. Now it's a lot more favorable towards me. And that took a lot of kind of figuring out in my head to not feel guilt almost whenever you'd, you know, be in the bedroom and doing things or having sex or whatever. It definitely becomes more, or for me anyway, it became more towards me having a good time, Um, which took a lot of adjustment in my head to then not feel really guilty that I wasn't, Surely you need something, and you know, it was that kind of thing takes adjustment.
0: The trial and error process, for yeah.
2: Sure. <laughs> but yeah, we're lucky,
0: we're you know, what we're really lucky in Vancouver, we have a center called iCord. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but it's this giant complex where it's completely devoted to spinal cord injury research. And they also have all the doctors and the surgeons and the nurse practitioners that specialize in spinal cord injury that practice out of that building. So it's like one big giant hub of spinal cord injury stuff going on there. You know, when you're at rehab here, you go, if you're a couple, you go into the office of the sexual health practitioner and she has all these gadgets out on the table with some fake boxes of pills and says, okay, this is what your sex life is going to look like now. You have to figure out what works for you. And your injury level. And then that that kind of starts the process where you're just like, at the beginning, you're so overwhelmed. You're just like, I don't want to even think about this right now. And then as you get back to your home life, you're like interested. So you start trying this kind of stuff and working with a the therapist to like try all the different options and see what works and see what doesn't and explore your new body and your new sexuality. And it's, it's interesting, but it is different for every single couple because every single couple has a different way that their body works after spinal cord injury. No injury is the same, right? Especially for it's, it's, it's interesting for the, for the guys, for sure. But like speaking about children and stuff, like, I mean, the process here is different in Canada than it is in the States than it probably is in London, um, Europe, whatever. But I think like, you know, in our group, we have so many women that have had children and their partners are like very high injuries and they have multiple children, and they somehow managed to do it all. And I think it has a lot to do with your desire to have a child. Um, I mean, for myself, my husband and I, we never planned on having kids just by choice, even before his accident. So it hasn't really changed. But looking at the situation now, for myself, I'm like, I give major props to anybody who has children because I can't even imagine. The amount of work that would go into that, especially with a higher level injury where it's like you're kind of in charge of everything. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it would be think
2: it's such a privilege having, for, for Matilda, as she's going to grow up, having this whole world around her. Yeah. She's going to be able to, she's never going to walk down the street, see someone in a wheelchair and go, oh, what's that? Which you do sometimes see kids do. She's never going to have that. This whole world is completely opened up to her where she gets to know all these different people and gets to experience this incredible life.
0: Yeah. I mean, like Elena can agree with me on this one. Like, We always say, especially since there's so many moms in our group that do everything and do it fine and they love it. If you want to have children, there should be nothing on earth that stops you from having children, especially a disability, because we've seen how happy these families can be. And we've seen the kind of kids that come out of that, like you are talking about, just increase understanding in the world and amazing little souls that, are going to be the next generation. And it's just so important. And I think, you know, some women come on our group and they're like, you know, I I don't know about having kids. I don't know. It's scary. And it's like, if it's something you want, you will make it work and it will be successful. If it's something that you want.
2: Whether it's a biological child or it's an adopted child or whatever
3: it's, if you you want that family, that's absolutely available to you. Yes.
2: in
0: whatever way that works. Exactly. Um,
3: Brooke, speaking of your network of women, can you guys explain to us exactly what is Wags of SCI? What do you do?
1: So Brooke and I um, began Wags of SCI in November of 2017. So we've been around just for a couple of years now. And the reason we began, I think Brooke had mentioned this earlier, um, we started Wags of SCI is Brooke and I actually met on Instagram so when Dan first came out of GF Strong, which is the rehab center here in Vancouver, you know, we would go out for outings or go for like a walk and take photos of each other. And then we would post it on our Instagram and, you know, hashtag wheelchair kid which is the area of Vancouver that we live in. Long story short, um, I think her mom uh, had found some of my posts on Instagram and said, hey, there's another girl in your area or there's another girl in Vancouver who looks like she's got... She's your age, has a partner in a wheelchair. So Brooke um, obviously connected with me, and I didn't know anybody else in a wheelchair. You know, our friends and family didn't know anybody else in the wheelchair. I, I didn't feel like I could talk to them about all the things that we were going through, especially newly out of rehab, you know, with I was saying the accidents or running out of medical supplies, like catheters or condom caths or whatever. There was nobody else to really talk to about it. So the four of us got together one night at a pub, Uh, it was trivia. We closed the place down. We realized we had a lot more in common than just wheelchairs. So obviously we got together. And um, after that, Brooke and I, you know, we started talking about going for a quick coffee date in the morning before we would, we would wake up and get our partners ready for the day. So we would take like maybe, you know, an hour time out or go for a yoga date, go to a class. And just to know that there is somebody else that understood the process of everything especially with the new injury was refreshing and uh, I think Brooke a few months later was like hey I think we need to start a group I was like what the hell what group who's gonna want to be part of our group like what what kind of a group is this she's like I don't know I don't really care if it's just the two of us showing up we need to start this support group we got to we got to provide more support for other women There have to be other women out there like us. They can't be going through what we went through. And a lot of what we went through was, you know, getting your partner ready at at rehab. And then I would sit in my car and I would just cry and cry because I had nobody to talk to, you know, it'd be 11 o'clock at night. I'd be leaving rehab, going home to make him some more food to bring the next day to do it all over again. But I had no one to talk to. So like I said to you earlier, I had to go back to get a serving job after I lo- lost my job. And I said to my manager one day, I said, you know what? My friend and I, we we're, were starting this group, this group called WEGS of SEI. And we're going we're gonna to host our meetings here. And do you, like, how do you feel about like sponsoring some appetizers and drinks for these ladies like, that come out, you know, that want to get together? because also our budgets were really tight. We spent all this money on medical equipment, you know, for lifts, wheelchairs, all these things that going out for, you know, a glass of wine with another woman wasn't really like something that we were jumping on top of right now. So my boss said to me, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Sure. You can have your group here at this restaurant. Sure. We'll get, we're going to get you so, you know, a round of drinks. Everybody gets a glass of champagne or wine. So Brooke and I, had our first meetup and i think it was six ladies this is when we first began wags of sci it was just six ladies and everybody went home and brooke and i ended up staying and getting drunk because we really (laughs) needed to we really needed it and we had so much fun and we laughed and we cried and whatever And from there, we just kind of, you know, Brooke built us a beautiful website, thewegsofSCI.com. She's a graphic designer. And then from there, we just kept on connecting with other women. And in the September of 2017, uh, the Washington Post reached out to us. Wow. And they said, hey, ladies, we've noticed you when we were again i was like what the hell who's noticing our group (laughs) you know it's just it's just a couple of us a few ladies and they said no we really like what you're doing you're providing support to women across the globe and from there we just started to begin with women writing us saying can i be um an area ambassador to have to host meetups like the one that we had at the restaurant in my area so we said sure of course you can come join the team So now we have 21 ambassadors. We have one, we have one in the UK, uh, Alice Cooper. We have one in South Africa. We have them across the states. We have some in Canada. So that's what these women do. They provide support for a meetup, for a girls' night, just to come together, have a glass of wine, laugh, cry, whatever you need in the moment. It's so
3: important. It's such a great idea. Well done, girls. Thank you.
0: We produce the podcast and we do all of that ourselves. That as well as we do a lot of writing and contributing to, we were partners with the Reed Foundation. Um, we contributed a lot of content to them. We kind of set it up so they had more caregiving content on their website, Um, Just kind of giving more of a voice to the women, you know, because there is a stat out there, especially in North America, that 80% of spinal cord injuries are in fact men. So there's a huge portion of women that this applies to, right? Um, And so we are just like, you know, we have a voice. And, you know, with Reeve, they were like, we need more of that voice on our website. So that's kind of like what we were doing for a while. And then we're just focusing on the podcast and we're really focusing on just getting out there and just being available for the future of women, for women that did not have, do not have anything when their partners are in rehab or they first start dating someone that's in a wheelchair that they have no information. It's nice to know that there's something there now that is specific towards women dealing Mm -hmm. with this.
2: I definitely, yeah. when I first met him, was looking for stuff like that. When I had those first tiny questions of, can we do this? Can we not? Yeah, That was the, the kind of thing that I was looking for. And it didn't exist at that point.
0: Right. That was us too. When our got injured. Yep. we were yeah. like browsing the internet. And, you know, <laughs> Elena yes. always talks about she had her glass of
1: wine in hand, Googling oh yeah just just a complete freaking mess just coming back from rehab it's like i'm up until like midnight bottle of wine deep on google my partner sustained a spinal cord injury now what and it was literally like now what you know and nothing came up so i can imagine for you guys having to go through it all at that point it really is that
2: help i need someone to talk to i have no idea what's going on
1: yeah. I mean, it was honestly, it was tough. It was, it definitely always felt like something was missing in the rehab process because they had all these programs for the the injured person, but there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And even a lot of the time, Brooke and I will still talk about this. When we go out for dinner with our partners, people just assume that we're their care aides, like, the, that like these are not our men that we're just their nurses, just there to help them feed them, you know, or whatever, going out for dinner. And it's like, no, this is, my person this is my partner this is who we've chosen to spend our lives with so you know again the group is like there to reinforce and, and maybe break some of those stereotypes you know a lot of people you know some people think it's even like sick like oh you guys are sick those you want to be with somebody in a wheelchair like we've heard it all we've really heard it all oh my and gosh, I Oh, yeah, we, we have. that
0: all the time, all the oh time. My gosh. I'm so sorry. Wrong. What a horrible thing to have to
2: hear. You know, yeah. you're
0: preying on a vulnerable person. It's like, no, yeah. this is what society thinks. And this is what we're trying to change. It's like, you're with the person. The person yeah. is what matters.
1: Exactly, and I and I think you know the outdated uh, ideas about people being in wheelchairs. People just kind of think, you know, who's in a wheelchair? Your old little granny who's ninety years old who's sitting there knitting—is that who's in the wheelchair? It's like no, spinal cord injury does not discriminate. It can happen to anybody at any given time, and I think a lot of the time, you know even with coronavirus going around right now, people, you hear the conversation about, oh, only the vulnerable need to stay at home. The rest of us can just go out and do, it's like, no, this can happen to you at any given time. You are part of the bigger picture and the, every every single one of us are connected. So we really are as strong as our most vulnerable part of our population, you know? I, so- def-
3: I definitely think that it's only when you've been through something like a spinal cord injury or somebody so close to you having a spinal cord injury or some big medical or life-changing event, I think you have to go through that to actually understand that because the ignorance that's out there. And I hate to use the word ignorance because I was that person, you know? Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't saying outrageous things like that, but I was the person who didn't understand. I thought yeah. that if you were in a wheelchair, you were vulnerable. You know, I didn't understand how independent you could be. And, you know, I had to learn that all, you know, the hard way. But I think that's the case for most people,
0: you Definitely. know? I think, Ruth, what you mentioned earlier about (laughs) us being strong women is, you know, when people say that to us, it's like, we're strong because we have a voice. And we find a lot of the times, you know, because of the way people in society treat disabled people, sometimes they don't have a voice like they should have. And that's why I feel like we are empowered because... We will fight for our men to the death. We are fierce. We will literally (laughs) break down doors, knock down doors, say anything to anyone if they get in the way of our partner.
2: Absolutely, I think I embarrassed him quite a lot. (laughs) Right,
0: Right. I was was (laughs) going (laughs) to say the same.
2: Yeah, we had had, uh, our next door neighbour recently had a tree being uh, sorted out in their garden, and we got home from going to the shops, and they put all of the branches in his disabled spot right outside the house oh, no. and so we parked up and we came out and we were like you, can, you can't do that can you move some seats and they got really really defensive about it and i was like no you know what
0: <laughs> right. this is
2: against the law you can't do this and tim was like kate calm down
1: it's fine it's like no it's not okay i'm always <laughs> the, thing, the extra mile on it my partner says the same thing too he says that you know i need to calm down he says i'm too <laughs> extra too extra all the time we've been living you guys we live in a apartment it is not accessible however it's an older apartment that was built for the veterans so the doors are a bit wider we have been living here for four and a half years since dan's accident and we just got an accessible push button for the door oh no and that took a lot of advocating on my part to the point that Dan says, "Oh, who cares? You're being too much, you're being too much." And I said, "Do you want to sit because here in Vancouver, we have all the weather, so we get rain, we get snow, we get sun, we get all of it. There's been a couple of times where he will be sitting outside in outside the door in the snow, and he can't get in, and finally. You know, a few incidents happened, and I said, "That's enough. That is absolutely enough." And we got a lawyer involved. And the next morning, seven a.m. That was it. They had it. They had it going. They had it installed before the weekend was over. But I said, "My God, four and a half years living here, girls!" All I
3: can say is, "You, your, your men are very lucky men, and I hope that they realize it." And um, yeah, I'm thinking like (laughs) hashtag relationship goals here. So (laughs) that's that's brilliant. I oh, would love to talk for longer, but we've gone so far over we're gonna to have to <laughs> we're gonna to have to do loads of editing. But I haven't told you Kate will probably know this, but uh for the Canadian ladies you don't know that we have a very special gift that we send out to our guests. When I say send out, we normally give them because we do our podcasts in person, but because of coronavirus and being locked in, we have to send them. And um, so it may take us a while, but I'll have to get your postal address because the present is this wonderful This is Spinal Crap Mug. That's awesome. That's that's very cool. That's not the best part. The best part is the other side that says, after this brew, I'm off for my morning poo. Oh, my
1: God. I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. This (sighs) is amazing. Uh, thank, thank you so, so so much yeah busy. thank you your time and it was
0: so nice to speak to you Kate as well it's really nice it's lovely me. to meet you both
2: as yeah. well it's been a yeah really interesting
3: hey,
1: you gonna and you know what have, have us fun. on anytime
3: <laughs> we have yeah, a lot to anytime. say as you can tell
1: anytime I would love finish.
3: that we should totally do it again Ladies, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for coming along today. Um, And if anybody out there would like to get in touch with WAGs of SCI or learn a
1: little bit more, how can they find you, ladies? So we have a website. It's www.WAGsofSCI.com and Instagram, which is WAGs of SCI, as well as um, you can email us at WAGsofSCI at gmail.com. We
0: also have a podcast that we released a few months ago. Um, it's called Wings of SCI, the podcast, and um, we just tell stories on the podcast from our own perspectives, but we also have some awesome guests, just kind of from the perspective of a caregiver to someone with a spinal cord injury. Um, and so we're on episode 15 right now, so.
3: Oh, wow. Well done. Okay, cool. Good. Good, good. good to know. Gracie, if people want to get in touch with us, what can they do? They can email us at thisispinalcrap at
4: gmail.com. They can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Spinal Crap Show, or they can get us on Instagram at thisispinalcrap.
3: And so for listeners out there also looking for information about spinal cord injury, um, in particular with regard to coronavirus, please make sure to have a look at the SIA website, which is spinal.co.uk. Their advice line is 0800 uh, 9800 And they're there Monday to Friday 9 to 5 to answer your coronavirus queries or worries. Um, cafes as well they have their cafes Monday and Wednesday at three o'clock you'll find all the details on their social media pages Uh, and then the Spinal Crop Cafe is Thursday at three o'clock which is brilliant and of course you should all come to that too Um, and then Friday is the backup lounge which I would highly recommend and that needs um, to be you need to register uh, in advance for that So do have a look on their social media that is all of the plugs Uh, so thank you everybody for joining and we will catch you next tuesday until next time this is spinal crap Bye. Bye.
4: thanks for listening to this is spinal crap and thank you to our sponsors coloplast if you like this week's show please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media